Thank you, Favorite, and thank you, JD, and the band. Just so, man, we're blessed uh, to have such great folks leading us in music and, and pointing us to Christ week after week after week after week. And so I'm just so grateful uh, for the songs that we get to sing and the way we get to worship uh, Jesus. So he is risen. Okay, okay, it's pretty good, pretty good. Let's try that again. He is risen. This seems like a pretty big Sunday for some reason. I mean, this is a big deal. Like, Jesus is risen from the dead. He, he uh, died on the cross on Good Friday. Just as, as J.D. said, we were in complete darkness at the end of the Good Friday service and just meditating on this reality that Jesus breathed his last, that he gave up his spirit. Um, and then he is placed in a tomb, and he's there all day Saturday and into, into Saturday night. But then on Sunday morning, he's risen. And it's... Uh, this amazing story. And for anyone to, to, to hear that story and, and even maybe to, to entertain the belief that it, it's a true story um, is cool, but, but why does it matter? Why, why does the resurrection matter? And honestly, the book of Romans tells us why it matters. And this passage in particular tells us why the resurrection matters matters. This second half of Romans uh, 4, chap, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And it's an interesting way that uh, the Apostle Paul explains the significance of the resurrection, and, and he does it by using the illustration of another miracle that happens 2,000 years before Jesus. And that miracle is the, the making of a, of a promise and the keeping of a promise of a child. And that making and keeping of a promise is made to a, a, a couple named Abraham and Sarah. And the reason it's miraculous is because Abraham and Sarah are in their 90s when the promise is made. In fact, when Sarah hears the promise, it's so ridiculous, she busts out laughing. And they end up naming the miraculous child Isaac, which means laughter, which is kind of ironic. But again, what, what does that even have to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Well, let's, let's take a look at this text. We'll be looking at three different uh, parts of this. And so one is we're going to be looking at how Isaac's birth was promised by God and accessed by the faith of Abraham. Isaac's birth was promised by God and accessed by the faith of Abraham. And then secondly, we're going to see that the promise of I Isaac's birth was kept by God. And then thirdly, we'll see how God's making and keeping of this promise has anything to do with us. So let's look at the first part, how Isaac's birth was promised by God and accessed by faith. So Romans 4.13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. There's a lot about promise in there, and also how Abraham and his future heirs will access the promise. So the promise to Abraham and Sarah is that they're going to have a baby. 
Like I said before, it's a miraculous birth. But the promise is bigger than that. Not only is there going to be a miraculous birth, somehow this miraculous birth is going to be the beginning of a family that is eventually going to affect the entire world. Verse 13, it says that Abraham would be the heir of the world. Verse 16 says he'd be the father of us all. And then later, in a minute, we'll read 17, it says, I have made you the father of many nations. Baby Isaac is the beginning of a, a worldwide salvation plan that God is beginning to unfold, and that salvation plan will include all the nations. We long for this. We long for a unifying of the human family, a family that is so divided. It's divided by race. It's divided by class. It's divided by sex. It's divided by age. Name any kind of difference. And you can also name a discrimination based on that difference. Many who are in this area are, are, are trying to figure out, how can I take all those isms and turn those isms into a diverse yet unified human family? God wants that too. And God is unfolding a plan to accomplish just that bringing the nations together in one unified family. And the promise of Isaac is a part of that plan. Now, also in this promise section is how Abraham and his offspring will access the promise. It tells us how he is not going to access the promise, that it's not going to be through law-keeping. It's not even going to be through circumcision. Uh, Paul lets us know in the previous uh, section that Tommy preached on last week, but also here, that Abraham's relationship with God did not start by Abraham doing something. He's not following a law or fulfilling a ritual. In fact, there will be no law given by God for another 500 years when God gives Moses the law at Mount Sinai. Abraham's relationship with God starts with God, and in particular, a promise from God. Abraham has done absolutely nothing. He has not obeyed a rule. He has not fulfilled a ritual. He does one thing, and that is to believe. That's it. God's the one that initiates the relationship. God's the one who makes the promise, and Abraham accesses that promise by believing through faith. Listen to the text again, except here, instead of look for promise, you can see where faith is involved. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and to be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Isaac's miraculous birth is promised by God and believed upon by Abraham. We might say that Abraham accessed the gift or the grace of the promise through faith. That Abraham accessed the gift or the grace of the promise through faith. 
And this is not just unique to Abraham. This is going to be true of all of Abraham's, quote, offspring. They're going to do this faith thing as well. So the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. So not only is the birth promised by God and accessed by faith, but the promise is kept by God. It's one thing to be a promise maker. It's a whole other thing to be a promise keeper. And this is what Paul reveals here in this text. It feels good to be a promise keeper, does it not? Someone needs something, you say, I've got this. I will help you with this. I will do this thing that you need. And then you do it. Just, just like you said you would, and you fulfill whatever that promise is that you've made. And, and, and when you get to that, the end of that making, keeping of the promise, there's something about it. It just feels good. Like even, even companies will say, uh, we under-promise and we over-deliver. And it feels really bad when you make a promise and you don't keep it. When that person says, I need something, I need your help, you say, absolutely, I've got this, I will do this. And then you forget. Or you try really hard, but still you fail. And you're unable to make the promise good. You, in fact, over-promise and under-deliver. I did this a couple weeks ago. I had been emailing back and forth with Elias, and uh, we had made an arrangement to meet up at 2 p.m. on Monday, and I forgot to put it in my calendar. And so I'm sitting in my backyard meeting with Tommy in be- beautiful sunny day. The, 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 my phone rings. I can see it's Elias. And immediately I know Elias is at the building here waiting for me, wondering where I am. It's 2 o'clock on Monday afternoon. And it felt bad. I don't want to let Elias down. I didn't want to make a promise. I'll be there. I'll see you. I think even in the email, I'll see you there 2 p.m. Monday. But I didn't fulfill the promise. God never experiences that. Every promise he makes, he keeps 100%. And this is partly why we desire to make promises and keep promises. We're built in the image of God. We, we want to bear his image in that way, to have a, a full integrity that making promises and keeping promises. But, but God always keeps his promises, which is why you can trust him. It's why it's right to believe in Him. It's because the promises He makes are the promises He keeps, even if it requires supernatural power. You see Paul describing this in verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom He, talking about Abraham, believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, but this description of the promise-keeping God is profound. This promise-keeping God can give life to the dead. This promise-keeping God can bring things into existence that didn't exist. This is the God of the Bible. He is the giver of life, but not only that, the one who can bring the universe into existence by a word of His power. This is the God who is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And therefore, we can trust Him fully to keep His promises. And that's what Abraham did. That's what Abraham did. He trusted Him fully to keep His promises. Verse 18, in hope, he, talk about Abraham, believed 
against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. No belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in, faith, in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So it's describing all that, that God had to overcome, and he had to overcome a lot, right? He says Abe's body was as good as dead, right? You know you're not in very good shape if people are describing you as good as dead. The Greek word there is nekru. Um, it means as good as dead. Um, Sarah's womb is being described as barren or dead. Literally, the, the word being translated there is necrosis. You may be familiar with that term in medicine. Necrosis is cell death in a tissue or an organ that's, that has results because of disease or because of lack of oxygen. And once those cells are dead, there is absolutely nothing that can be done to bring them back to life. And so Abraham is necru and Sarah is necrosis. And this is why it, it requires a God who can bring life from the dead to bring baby Isaac from that womb. I was thinking on this text a few weeks ago as I was talking on FaceTime with a friend of mine, Martin, who's in the hospital with COVID. And he wasn't doing very well. I was checking with him pretty much daily, and he was getting worse and worse and worse. And this one particular day, he was telling me, he said, they're, they're about to intubate me. They're talking about putting me on a respirator. And you know what that means. Basically, they're going to be shoveling dirt over me in the next few days, which is exactly what he, he said. And so I was talking to this other guy, Mike, who's a good friend of Martin as well, and we said, let's, let's pray for Martin. And so we got on a three-way call with Martin, and we read some scripture with him, and we prayed to God. And we knew that we were praying to a God who can bring life out of death. We knew we were praying to God who can bring into existence something that is not in existence. And within a day, inflammation had gone down, he's breathing better, and they were not intubating him. And he continues to improve. Now, Martin's healing wasn't specifically promised by God, but I had confidence that God could heal him because he is a God who can bring life out of death. But what if there's a promise that is specifically given by God? which is what Abraham had. And in that case, you can have absolute confidence that God is absolutely going to make good on His promise. This is why Abraham's described as not weakening in his faith, that, that no belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, that, that he grew strong in his faith, that he gave glory to God, that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Now, if you know anything about Abraham's story, you're kind of scratching your head right now. Abraham is a little bit of a waverer. He didn't always have the strongest of faith. In fact, he got scared a couple times and told people that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, because he was scared that they were going to kill him so they could marry Sarah because she was so beautiful. 
And then later, when the baby hasn't come yet, it's been a, a decade or so after the promise, Sarah says, huh, maybe you should uh, sleep with my servant Hagar, and then that's the way we'll bring this child of the promise into being. And Abraham's like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Does that seem like unwavering faith? I mean, no. So what's going on here? I mean, is Paul just sort of sprucing up, you know, Abraham's memory a bit? doesn't seem to be the case because the readers would have had access to Genesis just like we have access to Genesis. What it seems to be is that Paul is saying that Abraham's faith was sufficient to access the promise of God. It may have had some moments of weak and wavering and lack of confidence, but, but it was sufficient to access the promise of God. And we know it was sufficient, partly because he got the promise, but, but also because the faith grew. We know it was genuine faith because it grew. He says it, he, he grew strong in faith. That's, the, that's the pa- what the passage says. Meaning it wasn't as strong in the beginning, but it became strong over time as he trusted in and relied upon the God who had made the promise. And at, toward the end of Abraham's life, we definitely see a grown-up faith. About three decades after the initial promise was made, Isaac's been born miraculously. Isaac's now a little boy. God says to, to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up on this mountain, and I want you to offer him up as a blood sacrifice. And Abraham says, I'll do it. No questions asked. And he takes Isaac up on this mountain, and he's got the knife up to, to Isaac's throat, and God stops him. And God says, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's some grown-up faith. That's some grown-up faith. That looks different than, yeah, this is my sister, don't kill me. But that faith was, was still real back there when it was wavering. It was genuine. It was sufficient. And we know it's sufficient because it grew and it grew and it grew. Jesus speaks of faith in much the same way. One day he's re- rebuking the disciples because they don't have faith. And he says uh, that they have little faith. And then he says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's kind of a weird verse, you know, talking about moving mountains and mustard seeds. But, but considering what he's saying, he's saying, if you have genuine faith, even if it's frail, even if it's, it's small, like a mustard seed, it will grow. And it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will become a massive tree. So you may have fragile faith this morning. It may feel small. It may feel wavering. Know that 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 mustard seed, if that's genuine faith, a a genuine relying on and trusting in the promise-keeping God, that faith will grow and grow and grow and grow. This is the faith of Abraham, but this is the faith of the offspring of Abraham. So, so far we've had God making a promise the promise being accessed by faith, and then God making good 
on that promise. Now, what does this have to do with you and me? How does it apply to you and me? Paul writes this in verse 23, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. may feel like Paul's changing the subject a bit, but he's not. (laughs) Hang with him. Uh, He's saying Abraham's faith in the promise was was just a small promise-making, promise-keeping that was part of a bigger, better promise-making and promise-keeping. That this miraculous baby from a dead womb was a small promise, part of a bigger, better promise of bringing a dead man out of a sealed up tomb. And so he's, he's using this imagery of, of the miraculous birth of Isaac as just a glimmer of, of, of the power of that the, the God who can bring life from death and can bring things into existence that had not yet existed before. That's the God of Easter. That's the God who brings a dead man out of the tomb, which is a much greater promise. So think of it this way. It's sort of like a zoom in, zoom out, right? You've you've seen movies and documentaries where they do this uh, cinematography where they zoom in really, really close and you see like in a rock climbing video, and you, you see the rock climbers struggling, and you see like maybe their fingertips hanging on the, 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 the ledge, and then it pans out, and the guy's like hanging off of El Capitan, right? It's a little bit like that. You're, you're zooming in, you're, you're seeing this promise of Isaac, and, and how, how he, he was brought out of this dead womb, and you're like, man, that is amazing. And then Paul zooms out, and he says, you think that's amazing? <laughs> This was the beginning of of an unfolding plan of salvation that would include the divine Son of God's death on the cross, buried and risen from the dead. That's some El Capitan right there. And Paul zooms out and shows us that this promise that God was was making and keeping with Abraham was was part of a bigger promise that he was making and keeping for you and me. And we have the opportunity, just as... Abraham did to access the gift, the grace of that promise by faith. To believe in the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. Because this is what he's doing on Easter. He is making a promise. He's, He's keeping the promise that he's made. So he lets us know what what kind of promise he's 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 keeping here. He says that Jesus died on the cross for our trespasses. Uh, trespass is, a, is, is a, a breaking of a known law. It's not a, oops, I made a mistake. Oops, I didn't see the sign. Oops, I slipped up. This is, I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. And so by saying that Jesus died for trespasses, he's saying that, that Jesus' death pays for every kind of human sin imaginable. Even a trespass or transgression kind of means the same thing. We, we have knowingly, rebelliously, willfully disobeyed and sinned against God. He says, Jesus died for that. He was delivered up for that. And that he was raised 
for our justification. Uh, this is one of, not the only, but one of the reasons the resurrection matters. Paul tells us right here. That Jesus was raised for a justification. Now, we've been talking about justification a lot in the book of Romans. We've been saying justification is a legal term. It's what happens when somebody's in a court of law. Their behavior is, is being compared to the, the law by the judge. And if the judge decides that the behavior has not broken the law, you are justified. You are acquitted. And the book of Romans has been telling us there's actually a way to be justified apart from law. And the way that we're justified apart from law is trusting in what Christ did for us on the cross who paid the payment for our sin. And we can access this free gift of justification by faith. You say, well, what does the resurrection have to do with this? The resurrection is proof that Jesus' death actually dealt with the problem of sin. And the way we know that Jesus dealt with sin is because he dealt with the consequences of sin. We see him victory. In, in victory over death. Where do we get death? We get death from sin. So if he's beat death, that means he's beat sin. If he's beat death, that means justification apart from law is actually a real thing. It's actually a promise that God has not only made, but he's kept. And he proves it when he raises from the dead on Easter. If there's no resurrection, then there's no justification apart from the law. This is what Paul says in places like 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You see Paul's logic there. He's saying if there's no resurrection, then the sin problem hasn't been taken care of. But there was a resurrection. And so because there was a resurrection, we know the sin problem has been taken care of and you can be justified apart from law through faith. So if I'm not a Christian today, if, if you're here and you're exploring the Christian faith, or maybe you're on, on the, the live stream this morning, maybe you're checking this thing out for the first time, know that if you are not yet a, a, a Christian, the diagnosis for you is spiritual necrosis. You're dead. You're dead in your sin. You're spiritually separated from God. But God has made a way for you to be made alive. Even though you thought your diagnosis was totally fatal, God has made a way. And you say, oh, how can he do that? Because he is the God who can bring life from the dead. <laughs> He's a God that can bring into existence things that did not exist, including your salvation from sin. If you're not yet ready to believe today, I want to encourage you to explore this gospel truth. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament. Explore this. Reach out to, to, to a Christian friend and ask questions. Get, get, get involved and engaged in this. This is the most important thing you could ever engage yourself in. We even have a place on our website, mercyhouse365.org slash respond where you can further explore gospel truth and reach out to us if you have questions or you're ready to profess your faith in Christ. You may also want to join us tomorrow, Monday, 7 p.m. We're going to be talking with Justin Mooney and Patrick Grafton Cardwell about the resurrection. Is it fact? Is it fiction? What, how do we know? And they're going to walk us through the reasons for believing it as fact. But if you are a Christian, this is a reminder 
that, that before we, we came to faith in Christ, our diagnosis was spiritual necrosis. We, we had no hope. And because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, and proven in the resurrection, we've been given life. We've accessed justification apart from the law and done that by trusting in what Christ did for us by faith, by trusting in the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. It also reminds us as Christians, this is the God that we're daily relating with. I think sometimes in here it sounds, it sounds like a really big picture kind of up here in, thir- in theory about the resurrection and then God's a promise-keeping, promise-making God. He's a God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. But you can take this God into Monday morning and you can do this zoom in, zoom out thing at home. You should really try this at home, okay? You, you, you may be uh, fighting for a marriage that, that seems like there's no hope for it to heal. And you zoom out and you see the promise-keeping, the promise-making God who brings life out of the dead. And then you zoom back in with new faith, with new hope. You may be faithfully trying to parent a kid that is exasperating you. And you zoom out and you see the promise-keeping, the promise-making, promise-keeping God. You see the God who, who brings life out of the dead. And then you zoom back in with greater faith. You may be sharing the gospel with someone who just seems so far from God. It feels like there's no hope they would ever become a Christian. And you zoom out and you see the promise-keeping God. You see the God who brings life from the dead. And you zoom back in with greater faith faith. You may be trying to stay engaged with church family. You may be experiencing discouragement or church hurt. Zoom out. See the promise-keeping God. See the God who brings life out of death. And then zoom back in with greater faith to persevere in life in the church. You may be just struggling in your relationship with God in general trying to pray, trying to stay in Scripture, trying to do church life. You, you feel numb. You feel dead. Zoom out this morning. See the promise-keeping God. See the God who brings life out of death. And then zoom back in to the persevering in the Christian life of Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday. And Friday, if, if the God who can, who can bring live babies out of dead wombs and bring dead men out of sealed tombs, He can certainly bring life into your life that, on Monday morning. And so trust Him. Believe in Him. Rely on Him who doesn't just make promises, but He keeps promises. We're reminded this every time we come to the table. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a universal wide plan for salvation, but you zoom in to Thursday night, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, 
Jesus is looking into the eyes of his disciples who are going to deny him and betray him. They're going to scatter. <laughs> he is going to have to, to go into a, a, a night and a day of excruciating pain that will eventually lead to his death. And this promise-making God takes bread. He breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. He says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <laughs> There's a steal in that moment. He's not yet gone to the cross, but he's talking about it as if it's going to happen. He is going to make good on the promise. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He knew if he did not make good on that promise, we would have no hope. We would be utterly in despair, in spiritual necrosis. And so instead, he's the one who experienced necrosis of every cell in his body as he died on that cross for our sins and then rose on the third day. We remember that as we come to this table. If you're not yet a Christian, we're going to ask you during this time uh, to, to just think about what you're hearing, pray about what you're hearing. Hopefully reach out to one of the people in the room. This is one of the great things about this room is that it's full of people that love Jesus and they understand the good news of the gospel. And so you don't, you don't have to come talk to the pastor to find out more about Jesus. I will be around. I'm always happy to talk more. But know that many in the room can, would be happy to talk more. But if you are a Christ follower, you, you have come to that place where you've trusted in the promise-keeping God. We welcome you to the table. And what that looks like in COVID is there's a little cup right next to your seat. And so in a minute... We're going to have a time of, of just some reflection and some music. And so you just take the bread and cup whenever you're ready during that time. You don't have to wait for any initiation. And then we'll close with a song. Let's pray. God, thank you for this just incredible reminder of who you are and what you've done. The one who has brought death I brought life out of death and brought into existence things that did not exist before. And we know that you've done that on a cosmic level, but you've also done that in our lives. And so we give you thanks and praise for that this morning. We, we also pray, God, that you would come to those places in our lives that are feeling dead and numb and necrotic that you would come in with the power of your Spirit this morning and you would awaken us, you would enliven us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit as we reflect on the good news of the gospel. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.